Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. This morning we're going to consider, I believe, probably one of the greatest, most asked questions that a person might ask. And it's at the title of our outline, and that is, how can a person be right with God forever? And that's a sincere question. I imagine that there are Methodists in this world today that are asking, God, how can I be right with you? There are Lutherans today that are asking, how can I be right with you? There are Baptists today. There's Catholics today. There's people of all different shapes and sizes that in some measure, somewhere along the life journey upon which they are, they're saying, Lord, how can I really be right with you? There are some that they think they found how to be right with, with the Lord. In fact, somewhere in the world, where we're seated here in this beautiful air-conditioned auditorium sanctuary here in Hawaii, there is someone making a bomb that's going to blow themselves up or others up at the same way, thinking that by doing that, they're going to quiet down a very angry God. Somewhere in the world today, there is a man cutting himself, thinking that if he could endure that pain in some measure, that God might smile on him. Somewhere in the world today, there's a man that's lying on a a bed of nails, thinking that if he could manage his pain, he might be able to appease God. Somewhere in Haiti today, there is someone that is killing a chicken and then spilling its blood on some makeshift altar, thinking that in some measure God might allow that person to have eternal life with him. I know there's a place in the world today that there are hundreds of thousands of people that are kneeling and facing a city called Mecca, thinking if they're following that religious teaching that in some measure they will connect better with God. And so you ask ourselves, and I could ask myself the same question, why in the world would they do that? Because somewhere inside of them there is the thought that something has to happen when they die. Now there are people that will try to do all that they can with all the mental gymnastics that they can to say that there is nothing after death, that you just kind of, it's like a blade of brass that burns and it's no more. But Deep at night, they still have to keep reconvincing themselves of that because inside they're still wondering, how could I be right with God? And that's a normal thing. It happened with me. I didn't come from any religion, any cult. I didn't come from the Middle East. I didn't come from Haiti. I was just an American boy in 1966. I had a, a pretty bad uh, surfing wipeout, they call it. And it was at that time that I had my wake-up call that I began to really seriously say, God, I want to know, how can I be right with you? And in fact, my prayer was, Lord, I will do whatever it takes. And I added this to it reluctantly, hesitatingly, hoping that I wouldn't have to do this. I said, God, if you wanted me to even lay or walk on glass, I would do that in some measure so I could know I have eternal life. God in His rich sovereignty brought me the message of how I could know that I could have eternal life. And I want to share that message with you because it is the truth that has lasted the longest through the ages. And we're going to hear that. And I'm so glad to be able to give this to you more in depth this week than in the last six weeks. Because if we title all my messages over the last six weeks on just this alone, it would be session number one, sin, bad news. Session number two, sin, bad news. All the way to session number six, bad news, sin. I am so glad to get over that right now that today I can begin talking about what most people want to refer to as good news. Now, if you remember what we did say, we talked about how that everybody is a sinner. 
We talked about how those people who were rebellious and they rejected God, they were sinners. We talked about the respectable people that were do-gooders, they still were with sin. We went further than that and said even the religionists that were following some kind of rules and rituals and all that, that they still were sinners. And so everybody was underneath this horrible condemnation of God's wrath. And God was letting them know that, that they were all sinners. But that's why it begins in this session that we're going to cover today. He says, but now. You heard all the bad news. But now. And the beauty of it all is that all that bad news is not just good news on top of the bad news. It's the good news wipes away the bad news. And that's what's so beautiful about this. And I'm so excited to be able to share this. Now, this passage we're going to cover today and the time I hopefully have left, there are people that say that this is really the heart of the message of salvation, of how to be saved. Even the guy named Martin Luther said he called it the marrow of theology. It is so rich. If I could bring it into a practical illustration, when Carol and I were in China teaching there last October a year ago, we would be taken out. They were so hospitable, those people, and they'd put us in front of these beautiful circular tables with the lazy Susan, and then they would be bring out one plate after another plate after another plate, and then they would bring the fish out to you. And the fish was always standing straight up, staring right at you. And so they would then serve the fish, and everybody would go, would go around. And, of course, Carol doesn't eat fish, and, and she's saying, what do I do? And we worked through that. She still didn't eat fish, but I think we were still uh, in their good graces. But as it came to me, someone leaned over and says, do you want the cheeks of this fish? And I thought, cheeks? You just cut the head off and you eat the meat. No, 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 the cheeks, the cheeks. And so I stepped aside and I watched the people with their little chopsticks going after the, the cheeks of the fish. And they just thought they died and went to heaven eating that. Now, why am I telling you that story? What we're going to study today would be the cheeks of the fish, all right? This is going to be the very best part of the gospel. Now, for some of you, you're going to have to really put your thinking caps on because I'm going to go for you. You're going to think very deeply. And the reason I am is we could talk about Jesus born in Bethlehem and he lived a great life. He taught a bunch of people. He died a horrible death and he's coming back. And that's true. All of that's true. But that's nothing more than maybe the, the wrapper on a candy bar. But that's not really the meat. There's a lot that goes on underneath it. And once you know what goes on underneath all of that, it's not going to change what you've heard, perhaps. But what it will do is it'll add so much substance to you that you will so much want to engage this Christ that you too will want to praise his holy name for 10,000 years and beyond. And that's my desire is that you will glorify the Lord long after this message, but because of this message and because of the truth that's going to come from it. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take you through a passage of Scripture where Paul explains the seven aspects of what we might call the righteousness of God. And if you listen to this, then you're really going to get what we might call theology. Now, I'm going to try to make it as fun as we can, as simple as we can. I'm going to use a lot of illustrations, hopefully, and you'll be able to follow along. But you'll hear stuff here today that you likely will not hear in many churches on a Sunday morning. But I want to feed it to you in such a way that you'll be able to grab a hold of this. Now, if we went back again and we talked about sin, there's a funny little word that we never use, and that's called homardiology, and that's just the doctrine of sin. Now we're beginning the second section of Romans, and it's called soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation. Now, why am I telling you that? Nine, Nine out of ten of you won't remember it. The one of you that do will say, wow, he really does know doctrine. So are you impressed? All right. So what we're talking about now is sin and now salvation. And there are seven of them in this passage. Very easy to follow. But you're going to hear stuff that will really nail the lid closed on the issue of how can I really be right with God 
forever. So let's look at number one. The righteousness that we need obviously comes from God. And I'm going to jump right into the middle part of the verse. And if you're following along in your Bible, it's actually verse 21. The outline that you have here has been printed with uh, verse 1, but it's actually verse 21. That's a misprint and that's on me, all right? So let's look at the verse. He starts out by saying, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested or made known, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now, for all of you that might be new, that's a lot of stuff in there. So let's just look at what I put in the bold print. So the righteousness we need actually has to come now not just of God, but from God. So let me see if I can unpack this just a little bit for you. When we talk about this righteousness of God and how big it is and how important it is and how much we really need it. You have God, and He has many attributes. We know that God is love, God is light, God is grace, God is mercy. The other aspect of God is God is righteous. So you have God's righteous. But out of God's righteousness, He now makes us righteous. So there is a righteousness not just of God, but there's also a righteousness that is given to us from God. Now, for some of you, if you want to be right with God, the first step is, is boy, to get to heaven, I've got to be righteous. Now the question is, is how good do I have to be in order to be righteous? You have to be as good as God. I will unpack that in a moment. Therefore, as righteous as God is, you and I have to have that righteousness. And we're going to learn that no matter what we do, we'll never have that righteousness. So therefore, in order to achieve heaven, we have to have God's righteousness, and that righteousness has to be given to me. Now let me give you some good news. When God gives us his righteousness, it doesn't mean he gives up his righteousness. He is so big and he's so great, so his righteousness is so eternal that he gives us his righteousness and it comes from God. And now that is so beautiful, which means all of a sudden it's starting to make you, should be making you feel a little bit more comfortable that I don't think I could make it. But wait, what? God? Who? He's going to give me his righteousness? Mm Mm-hmm. He is. Now, how does that all work out? Stay with me today, and we're going to learn how that happens. So that righteousness that we get actually comes from God, and boy, do I really like that. Why? Because there is no righteousness in myself. Now, listen up for just a moment, because there are some people that think you start the world as a little baby, like we did our our parent-child dedication. Those kids are really cute, and they're really nice, and all of this stuff. But any of you that had children, even though that they're kind of real nice right now, they still are very selfish, me, my, mine, and all of that. They have what is known as a sin nature. So it doesn't mean that God takes our righteousness, and he adds a little bit more of his righteousness to our righteousness to make us better. doesn't mean that at all. It means that we are so unrighteous that nothing we do and all that we are are so unrighteous, even in our very best, watch this now, even our very best is still nothing more than a filthy rag. It says that in Scripture. You say, what's a filthy rag? Back in those days, they had a lot of problem with diseases, and one of the diseases they had was leprosy. Now, filthy rags could be, and let your mind go any direction you want because it doesn't specifically say, but often those rags would be used to wipe off the dead skin of those lepers and they throw those rags away that scripture says is the very best that you do so you take away from that your righteousness anything else all your bad stuff is even worse than the filthy rag that's why here it is we need God's righteousness given to us so we're lost we're all sinners no matter if you rejected God whether you're a respectable person or even religious you need God's righteousness that's number one let's go to number two so it comes from God number two is We do it without the law. We get this righteousness from God without the law. 
Now, I put it in little quotation marks there in my, my notes here because I wanted you to see the word the in a very special way. Now, you have to follow along. I don't know what Bible you have. I'm using the New American. It might be in some other translations, but I'm going to be very technical with you. This is cool. This is going to help you see why we who believe that it's by faith alone and Christ alone, why it works. It says, but now, the righteousness from God, but now is apart from, now, in your Bible, it might have the word the law in there. Now, let me explain a little bit more about that. When you go through the original writings, there's what we call articles. You have an indefinite article, a law, or you have a definite article, which is the law. In the Greek, you will not find the word the law. Some of you have a translation that it'll say the in there, but the word law is a small L, not a capital L. You're saying, what are you making such a big deal over this? You're going to see in a moment. Here we go. So it says a law. So we are, but now... Apart from a law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Now, when I look at that and it says a law, what could that be referring to? Because later on in the verse it says, look at it, being witnessed by the law. Now you have a definite article in there with a capital L. That being said, now look up here if you will. I'm going to walk around so you can kind of get your eyes focused here and listen. When it talks about law, small l, that is highly likely referring to any system of religious rituals, legalism, anything you want to put there of do's and don'ts that we need to do in order to go to heaven. So it's just a general law that's out there. It's a law of stuff we have to do. Now later on it says that our righteousness that comes from the Lord that's given to us, it doesn't come from a law. It's apart from all the laws, but... Who is it witnessed by? Here it is, the law and the prophets. Now let me just give you a little explanation. There are many people today that think that, well, the law is the thing that we do, we must obey in order to go to heaven. Didn't the Jews have it in their Bible? Didn't the Jews teach that? Didn't the prophets tell them that it's all about the law and they needed to listen to the prophets, which would be all the word of God in the Old Testament, and the law, which would be the Decalogue and all the other laws? Shouldn't they be obeying them? Isn't that what the Jews had to do? So the Jews got to heaven in the Old Testament by being obedient to this stuff. The answer is absolutely not. The law was never given as a way to go to heaven. All the other writings in the Old Testament had nothing to do about eternal salvation. Practical salvation, yeah, if you do this, you'll be healthier. If you do that, you won't be healthy. If you do this, you'll be saved. I'll take care of you, all of that. A lot of it dealt with earth salvation, not eternal salvation. So when it says the law, watch this, and the prophets witnessed, what did they witness? They witnessed that salvation and redemption and righteousness came from God without any laws that's out there. So if anything, what the Old Testament did was to show the Jews that none of these things will get you to heaven, that there is a Savior and He's the Messiah who will come later on. And then the prophets spoke about it. So the law and the prophets testified that no laws of any kind would get them to heaven. So you might be asking then, why do these Jews have it so mixed up? Well, they had it mixed up then. They had it mixed up in Jesus' time. That's why there was so much conflict with Jesus, with the Jewish people, etc. And that's why we have the conflicts today with Jewish people not seeing Jesus as the Messiah. Are you tracking with me? Say, uh-huh. Uh -huh. Now, let me take it and move it away to a more practical way, even into our own religion. 
There are many people today that will go to church. There are many pastors, preachers, men, women, priests, whatever they might be. They will purport or push on humanity that going to heaven is by being religious, keeping some kind of religious laws, whether it's communion or baptism or rosary beads or all that other stuff. All of that is good. I get that. But what happens is is when these people who are highly respected for their so-called knowledge of the Bible um, substantiate that, but not clearly teach that in God's word, clearly, properly interpreting it, then it's no different than the religions of the world today, like the Jews in the Old Testament. They all of a sudden, they make doing some kind of religious thing a way to get to heaven. Remember, the righteousness that we have does not come from anything we do. The righteousness that we have comes strictly from God. And the law and the prompt prophets witnessed that told that spoken to us so it's all apart from the law now some of you might be a little nervous right now because you're saying you know what everything i thought was going to get me to heaven whatever it might have been you fill in the blank you've just taken it away from me through scripture so what does that mean now then what do i do you mean what have i been doing is wrong all my life and and i've wasted all this money and time and effort and energy and all that now i wish i was on your back porch And I wish I was seated next to you so I could put my arm around you to say we all thought that, but now think differently. Quote, we've all repented. We've all changed our thinking. We thought that too. And I know it's a hard pill to swallow, but it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to say, you know what, I I thought wrong, and maybe I'm going to hear something that's really true because what I was doing before, it, it only sustained me for the moment of me doing it or when someone reinforced it, but in my heart when I put my head on the pillow, it didn't work. And I'm going to say, I know that. We felt that too. We're not better than you. We just kind of got the truth and now we're, we're going to give our life to help you have that truth too because we love you. We love the truth. We love what it does. And so again, without the law, any law, we can have eternal life. Now, I want you to know the Old Testament has principles and laws in there that are good and I'm going to tell you what they're going to be used for later. All right, let's go to number three. So the righteousness we need is from God, but it doesn't come with the law. So it's apart from the law. Now in verse, three, or verse uh, 22, it says... Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So the point is, my righteousness that I get from God is received by faith alone. Take a moment and fill in the blank. Get your pen out and fill that in. It's received by faith alone. Now in the context, it's more than faith alone. It's faith alone in Christ. Okay, so it's not just faith alone. It's faith alone. True, that means not faith in works, but it has to have the right object. In this verse it says, even the righteousness that God gives to me, it's given to me, it's His righteousness, but I get it through doing something. It's put in my faith in Christ Jesus for all those who believe. So you see faith and belief. So all that comes to me if I believe, for there's no distinction. I'll come back to the no distinction in a moment. Look at the verse again. Here it says, even the righteousness of God, now follow, follow, even the righteousness of God through works. Is that what it says? No. Even the righteousness of God through faith and works. No. It doesn't say even the righteousness of God through faith. For there is no distinction. It says through faith in Christ Jesus. For all those who believe. Now if you will look back up here again. So when you look at that verse. It's saying the only way that that gift of righteousness to go to heaven with. That comes from God is provided to me. I only receive it through faith in Jesus Christ. Now remember, my faith alone doesn't save me. It's the object of my faith. Faith doesn't save, okay? Works don't save. Faith don't save. It's the object of our faith. 
And God says, works don't say because you can't ever do enough because it needs perfect righteousness to get there and you can't get it. So now you say, okay, if I have faith now, then I just faith is enough. And how much faith? It doesn't matter how much faith you have. It does matter that your faith is in Christ. Now let me qualify that a little bit. I can believe in Christ as a historical figure. Better yet, I can believe in Christ as a religious figure, one of the big top five guys that are out there, you know, and all of that. So I believe, I believe he existed. I believe he even claimed to be who he claimed to be. But that doesn't mean fully that I am placing my complete trust in him. I'm going to believe what he says. He's God. He died. He rose again. All of that. I believe all that is true. That's the first part of it. But now I need to engage that truth by placing my faith alone in Him. Now let me speak to a few of you that have a different kind of translation. Some of you might have a translation that says, it's the faithfulness in Christ. I don't know if that's your translation. So you say, it says a little bit differently. I think when I go through the Greek, that there's a little vagueness there in the Greek. That it could say that I receive that eternal life and that free righteousness from God through the faithfulness of Christ. I could go that way. That's not going to throw off my theology. Or it could be my faith in Christ. Now, why wouldn't it do that? Because we're going to learn later on a few moments that in order for me to even have His righteousness, there had to be certain things done behind the scenes. And one of those things done behind the scenes in order for me to get that gift is that gift I get from God, righteousness, all right, had to be paid for. And so Jesus had to be faithful to God the Father because the Father sent him, had to be faithful to the eternal plan of redemption, so it didn't change any way along the way. He had to complete it, not go halfway through it, and then walk away. So he had to be faithful in order for me to have redemption. If you're tracking with me so far, say, "Uh uh-huh. Okay, now, it also isn't wrong for me to say, I need to place my faith in Christ. Now, some of you want me to split a hair right now. Which is it? Which one do you vote for? Send me $10 and I'll tell you. No, I'm joking. Here's how you do it. I believe if you look in that phrase in the Greek, faith in Christ, more cases than not in the New Testament, particularly by Paul in Romans, the phrase is not so much the faithfulness of Christ, although he had to be faithful to do all this. It really is faithful in Christ. And what even tips the scales for me, it says, even to those who believe. So the emphasis is to believe in Jesus Christ. And so there is an act of volitional will that you and I have to do. So, the argument is, do I have to obey God to go to heaven? The answer is yes. What do I have to obey? When Jesus says, believe. And I have to do the believing part. And God helps me through all of that to get to that point, to do the believing part in Him. So, that part I hope that you understand, that it's received by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then it says, for there is no distinction... For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the righteousness we need is from God without the law, received by faith alone, and only for sinners. Put that in your notes. Only for sinners. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now let me pick that verse apart a little bit for you. All right. First of all, we've learned that everybody's a sinner. And that means that God doesn't choose to save those who are the worst. You that are God-rejectors, God's going to save you because you had it the worst. The rest can kind of get there on their own. Nuh-uh, no distinction. Okay, you're so bad, God's not going to give His grace to you. He's only going to give the grace to those that are kind of really nice, respectable, good people. They really didn't try to hurt. They might have stepped out of bounds once in a while, but no big deal. God's going to give it to them because they were just good old Joes. No, 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 no. 
No, no. He, he's only going to give it to the religionists because at least they had their heart turned toward God in some measure and they realized that there was the man upstairs and some vague faith up there. They were trying the best they could and they tried to go through some kind of portal of religion. So God's going to show his grace to them. No, the Bible verse says, watch this, no distinctions. So that grace is given to any kind of person, every person who was willing to receive it by placing their faith in Christ. Because all sinners, all people are sinners, therefore all people are eligible for His grace. Let me say it again. Since all people are sinners, then all people in this context are eligible for His grace to have eternal life. Now I know that kind of questions some of the Calvinists that are out there, and maybe we could talk about that later. But for right now, I want you to know that this way of salvation doesn't change based on what you did in the past or do in the future because we're all sinners. Now, with that in mind, let's go back to the verse. For all have sinned. Now, you see this verse that says, falls short of the glory of God. Maybe I could use this illustration. It might help you. Let's say I took uh, three of our strapping guys here. I mean, the best, you know, the flex savages in our church. And I took three of the best sharp bodybuilding gals in our church And I had the wherewithal that I could give the winner of this race a million dollars. It wasn't how fast you got to the end of the race. You'd get the million dollars if you just finished the race. And if I asked you to do that, would you sign up? Those people probably would. If I just got to finish the race, (laughs) a million bucks, no problem. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.